Welcome back to Shredder's Not Dead. If they make you bang your head, we'll talk with them more about them. And today I'm very lucky to be joined by Roger Oerson of Sweden's Catatonia. Uh, how are you doing today? Hey, good. How are you doing? Yeah, no complaints. Um, always a good day to be talking about heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> so Catatonia are revisiting Australia for the first time since 2016, I believe. Uh, I imagine yeah. you guys are all pretty excited about that. Yeah. It was before the pandemic last time. God damn it. And if I remember correctly, um, that would have been one of the first tours you would have done as a member of Catatonia about a year or so after you joined the band. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I probably had done a couple of tours before then, but I think we did a European tour and a US tour before that one. And a few you know, festival seasons and stuff like that. But yeah, it was my first time in Australia last time. Yeah, for Never sure. been there with another band before either. So that was cool. Uh, is it your most recent visit since as well? Or have you been lucky enough to come over here on uh, personal travel or anything like that? Yeah, we we did a festival like a year ago or something um, in Holbarth, I think it was called. All oh, right. Uh, that would have been uh, Dark Mofo Festival in Hobart. Yeah. Very so that good. was nice. Yeah, Dark Mofo is an interesting one. It feels so um, isolated and a lot of uh, the shows that go there uh, get exclusivity. So a lot of the other, mm. the rest of the country doesn't end up finding out about it or it sort of feels like it's uh, almost its own world in some ways, that festival. Uh, it was a weird one for us because... On the way down, they lost all of our luggage. <laughs> I came there with one pick, and that was all the gear we had. So we had to like rent stuff and lend stuff, and but it turned out to be a good gig in the end. And anyway, so yeah, nice. And was that one pick all you needed for that show? Or <laughs> apparently, yeah, very it, good. It worked. Yeah, yeah, and it was and- the first gig as well with uh, with uh, Nicole Elistrand from. Uh, yeah, on, on the second guitar as well there, from Entombed, if you know them. I do know Entombed, yes. I was going to yeah. pick your brains on some Swedish music a little bit later in the uh, in the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of it in case you... Oh, actually, you can't see my shirt, but I've got a Vatane on at the moment, uh, another Swedish band. It's fair to say that there's a oh. fair bit going on in that part of the world in terms of uh, heavy music, isn't there? Yeah, I guess there's a lot of uh, death metal stuff coming out of here. And black metal stuff, but I don't know shit about it. <laughs> it's yeah. All of the other guys are all death metal dudes in the band, but I I come from old blues and you know seventies prog stuff, so mm. I never really got into that stuff. Yeah, so I've noticed that you've you've talked a fair bit about that in the past. So I won't pick your brains on it too much in terms of where you've come from. Um, but one thing I was curious is you know reflecting on your time in Catatonia and. You know, you've said in past interviews quite a bit that um, you didn't actually know a lot about them before you joined. Oh, I didn't first, know them. <laughs> it's quite incredible um, that, you know, you've been able to so seamlessly jump in. Um, in terms of your technique as a guitarist um, and even just, you know, your musical knowledge in general, was there anything in particular that you found interesting learning the Catatonia material to tour it? Or was there any uh, techniques that you maybe worked on or developed outside of what, at that point, you'd been familiar with? 
it kind of felt like a mix of stuff that I've played in the past. And what I really liked about it is the absence of rules. You know, coming from a classical background, I started out with the classical guitar as a kid. And uh, there's so much rules. And all of those rules can hinder you doing things as well. And the other guys, well, like Jonas, who writes most of the stuff, he doesn't have that at all. He just writes straight from the heart. And yeah, that was a new thing for me. And I I gathered that is a common thing in death metal as well, you know, kind of breaking the rules, mm. breaking the, you know, when it comes to harmonics or whatever. So that was kind of a new thing for me. The absence yeah. of, uh, you know, uh, classical harmonic structure or, or so. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I find really interesting about Catatonia's music um, that I'm a little bit curious about from a practical point of view is that um, Jonas has this very distinct vocal style. And uh, I suppose you do a, a little bit of um, backing vocal as well from what I've seen in uh, online videos. Yeah, I haven't been lucky enough to see you perform yet, but we'll we'll fix that in about a month's time. <laughs> I do all the backing vocals, yeah. Yeah, like, and when you're working in these guitars that are you know, quite heavy, um, you know, at times, you know, outright, you've got the Swedish chainsaw sound going on, and sometimes it's got quite a bit of doom fuzz to it, and all this is. Um, do you find it? takes a bit of conscious effort to write guitar parts that allow this really sort of ethereal vocal style to not be uh, not be lost in the mud, or is that just how it happens to turn out? Uh, you shouldn't let one come in, in the way of the other, I think. Mm. It just, yeah. Uh, if it's difficult, you just got to learn it. I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, that feels impossible the first time you sit down with it, like polyrhythmically between the vocals and the guitar, but, you know, play it through a couple of times and it lands. So. Yeah, no, uh, I, absolutely. I think from more so from a tonal point of view that it, it blows me away that you have such uh, powerful, loud guitars, but uh, on record, especially Jonas's vocals are so uh, delicate at times, yet it never feels yeah. like the guitars are overpowering him. No, he's got a very special voice, Jonas. It's really cool. And, and it's not uh, strained. It's not a strained voice. It's just, it's more of a telling stories voice, you know, mm. which I like. But still yeah. cuts through, as you say. Uh, it doesn't get drowned by, by the rest of the music. Another thing I'm a little bit curious about from a, a songwriting point of view, now that you've done a few albums with Catatonia um, and sort of hopefully gotten in a bit of a rhythm in other interviews as well, you've said this is quite an easy album in terms of the studio side of things. Um, it's this really unique balance, I think, Catatonia strike between uh, sticking with a sound that is distinct and you hear it and you go, oh, that is definitely Catatonia. And I don't think... Uh, I don't think you've ever tried to reinvent the wheel too much in terms of what it is you do, but there's a lot of exploration that goes in terms of the um, the stories you tell on each album and song. And uh, 
for you guys, is that a matter of just writing what feels right or do you start an album uh, with a particular end goal in mind and try to do things a bit differently? Uh, I'm not sure. It's uh, It has to be a good landscape, I guess. It has to fit. But are you talking lyric-wise or are you talking music-wise? Lyric-wise, I guess it's a, more of a question for Jonas. Sure. He has written all of the lyrics so Musically far. in particular, I think. Well, it has to, uh, like I say, it's got to it's gotta have a, a good landscape to it, you know? And, hmm. uh, and it has to go somewhere. You're, you're always trying to find new ways and, uh, you know, you're always exploring, kind of. That's what music is to me. You always, but but still, you're you, so you do your thing, but still trying out new stuff within what you're doing, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's not outside of, like you say, you can still hear it's catatonia, whatever mm. we do, even if it's the electronic songs, it's, it still has the catatonia sound, even though it's not what we usually do. Mm. I think looking back at City Burials for a moment, um, that was an album in particular that I think maybe um, we mentioned the pandemic, but as well, for whatever reason, uh, it's been a while since Catatonia have been able to come out besides Dark Mofo uh, to this part of the world. Um, yeah. It felt... Um, like some of those tracks, uh, behind the blood, the lead single in particular, really to me felt like a song that was almost destined to be played live. It had that kind of, um, yeah. you know, mosh anthem energy, if you want to call it that. Um, does it yeah. feel unusual going into a tour for a new record having that, um, backup of material that maybe you haven't as a band been able to give as much airtime as well? Do you find putting a set list for a tour like this together uh, a little bit difficult in that sense? Not really. But what was sad about uh, the previous album is we never really got to tour on it. We only did one US tour and that was it. Mm. Uh, and that was, you know, uh, during that tour, the singles on the previous album was released, a couple of them. So we started playing songs from on the new album as well but yeah yeah that we released it just before the pandemic so yeah kind of got frozen but those yeah of course we're bringing up songs from that album in the set afterwards yes behind the blood for instance is yeah we often play that one it's kind of a homage to the old 80s heavy metal you know that we grew up with some of us, you know, the old Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and all that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's got that, um, it's got a bit of that, particularly Priest is one that came to mind. Um, but again, it's, it's interesting hearing, uh, it's definitely still a Catatonia song, like we were saying earlier, but at, it definitely nods its head in that direction. Yeah, that's, that's, what I mean, stretching it out in, in diff different directions, but still staying true to the sound of the band, you know. The idea for that one, I think, was born when we did, actually did a Judas Priest cover for a, a, 
uh, I think it was Metal Hammer thing that they did some kind of, you know, compilation of, uh, yeah, well, it was with the uh, magazine and they released that song with us with a specific magazine and we recorded an old uh, Judas Priest song and and Jonas had the idea, why don't we do one of those? <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> do you remember what track uh, it was? Uh, it was a ballad, if you could call it that. Uh, uh, Night Comes Down. Ah, good track. Yep. Yeah. Kind of a forgotten track. <laughs> it's uh, it's not one of the ones you hear on the radio. No. <laughs> but yeah, that was fun. And we played that live a few times as well. It's It's a fun song to play live. Well, I know what I'll be listening to after this interview. I'll go uh, have a listen to that cover. It sounds interesting. <laughs> cool. Uh, another thing that's been going on in the music world a lot uh, has been, unfortunately, um, the pandemic lockdown shows and the live streams. And I guess that was, uh, you guys did Dead Air, I believe it was called. Yeah. And the only gig during the pandemic. Yeah. That was a weird one, you know. Playing yeah. in front of people from all over the world with no people there, you know, trying to get, get into gig mode without any people there. <laughs> Just all of a sudden, a camera pops up in your face, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was really weird, but it was fun. Yeah, it was nice it was... doing in that studio as well, Studio Grandal, with uh, David Castillo behind the desk as well mixing live you know like a proper gig hmm yeah it was interesting seeing a lot of bands did them um and some did them you could kind of tell that it was uh maybe to keep their their gig fitness up their mind for it to keep in practice i think some maybe went for more of a message uh whether it was you know saying hey we're all together in this or you know you know, fuck what's going on, or hey, mm. we're still a band, we're still out here. Um, it, was, uh, it was kind of interesting seeing the different approaches to it. And I was wondering from uh, from Catatonia's point of view, uh, was there anything in particular that you guys took out of it, having that opportunity to practice performing live without a crowd, or was it just, uh, just to get together yeah. and perform? Yeah, kind of the latter. You're just getting together and do a gig, you know, in a weird way, but, you know, still just getting together and doing a gig. And nothing really, no no deeper thoughts behind it than that. Just, yeah, let's do a gig. And we knew that people were asking for it. So, yeah, cool. We'll do that. And then we got uh, our friend David Castillo there that has this studio that's really close to where we we all live and yeah, it was very easily done. And we uh, called in this, this team that handled the cameras and the lights and everything as well. They are also based here in Stockholm. So, you know, it was a local effort, I guess, the whole thing. It's a little tricky in a way to make those shows work. And I think you guys did a good job of it, but it's, it almost exposes bands a little bit in that 
you know, when you perform live, you have the volume in the room to go off. And I think death metal, doom metal, any sort of heavy progressive music really does at times lean into the volume and the feeling in your chest and in your head when you're in a room like that. And you don't have, you also don't have your studio production tricks. Like it was definitely, you could hear it was two guitars, a bassist, a singer, a drummer, and a little bit of extra stuff going on. But um, do you find it- but The same that we use live. I mean, we, mm. we've, we've always had the, the keys on tracks. Otherwise we'd have to have like seven different keyboard players and that's not, <laughs> it's not possible. Like, Yeah. Well, so, you, you can uh, fit them on the stage, but you might not be able to pay for them to travel around all seven of them. Yeah. From a production point of view, you know, the guitars sounded really good um, and the drums and, and bass went without having to, you know, some of some of the bands that went down that route a little came out a bit tinny because they don't have the the volume of the room to fill or they can't track five guitars panned hard left and hard right. Oh, yeah. um, is that something that took a little bit of playing around with? No, not really. We just did what we do live. You know, it's just two guitars and what, what are you going to do? And back on that one, we even used, because we had all the sounds pre-programmed and we're a bit lazy, used the old GT10s, you know, old boss GT10s, but with the external preamps. Then I, yeah, I think we both used AMT stuff. Russian company from Siberia that makes brilliant tube-driven uh, overdrives, or rather, they sound like amps. I've got one that sounds like an old 800 Marshall, for mm. instance, and they do diesel amps and they do Fender amps and stuff like that. So if you don't do the distortion part in the GT10, it actually sounds really good. All the effects are, you know, boss make good effects, so it works. Absolutely. No, one thing about them, you have a latency while switching. That, that was too much, you know. Trying to handle the vocals and the guitars and that polyrhythmics while having to step on the pedals a little bit earlier than on the beat. <laughs> that mm -hmm. messes with your head. But yeah, that... that that one was recorded with old GT10s, actually, just lined straight out. So uh, nothing fancy, no analog chains of 20 pedals and, and real amps with tubes and stuff, just digital all the way. Very impressive. And uh, if anyone's listening to the interview and hasn't checked that out, I think it's all up in parts on YouTube and you can hear what we're talking about. It uh, sounds really, really good. So That's cool. That's It'll, probably a lot to do with the David there as well. You know, he mm. knows his sound. Now I've gone over to the GT1000, but it's, you know, it's the same thing, basically. Only this one sounds better. But because live, you can't do the dancing around on three pedals while in every switch, you know, between sounds and trying to tune in BPMs of the delay pedals between every songs. And it's, it's way too much work. That's pretty much why we've gone digital. Now you mm. just press one switch and it's a completely different chain, different amp or whatever. It's 
fucking sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny that some people will make the argument of, uh, you know, oh, computers are making it impure or computers are interrupting or, you know, making it less oh, about yes. the music. But I kind of argue the opposite. I think that if you yeah. as a guitarist are able to go out there and focus more on playing the guitar and less on making the sound perfect uh, with your feet and with the dials, then I think that actually maybe maybe you agree with me that it means that you get to do a better job of just playing the guitar and that's a more pure yeah, thing. Exactly. And I mean it's it's still the sound is in the fingers anyway. It's not it's not gonna be that dramatic. Whatever you do in your chain or what amp you use, it's still basically in your fingers. You should be able to make any amp sound good. I mean so people tend to hide behind gear, <laughs> I think, way too much. You know, rely on gear way too much. I have to have this type of amp. I have to have this type of overdrive. I have to have this and this. Back with the Tiamat, it was like they always said we were the easiest band ever because what we asked for was the drummer asked for one of each. <laughs> okay. We'll do that. And the bass player, an amp. Okay, what amp? Uh, just an amp. And us two guitar players, an amp. Okay, what kind of amp? I don't know. One with a distorted sound and a clean sound? All right. <laughs> then, well, that was it. And, you know, when you can play, you can play through anything, I guess. it's You shouldn't be hung up on gear too much, even though I'm a total gear nerd myself. <laughs> when I'm given the opportunity to nerd out with people. I, but, you know, still, that's, that's mainly, it's like spices sometimes. But it's nothing I would rely on. I mean, last time when we were in Hobart, we got to lend stuff and we had, instead of all of the different kinds of effect chains that we usually use, we had a, clean a crunch and a distorted sound and it worked fine. Mm. It, you don't really need more, but it's fun <laughs> to have more. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, all right. One more question for you before I let you go. And it's um, a bit more of a general question. Um, thinking about, Swedish music, uh, you know, Catatonia come to mind. A huge fan myself of Opeth. Um, people who listen a lot to the show will know that. Uh, Ghost, Entombed, Meshuggah, Bathory, Dissection. You know, we could we could be here naming Swedish bands all day. Um, I think even recently we were lucky enough to have uh, Enslaved. I don't know, Enslaved from Norway. I've gone and put my foot in my mouth there. Uh, who have I got? Entombed. I I've got them. <laughs> That's kind of music I don't know anything about. The other guys are constantly trying to convince me, but I, I don't get it. <laughs> well, you like what you like. That's the um yeah. that's the that's the reality of it. Um but from from the point of view of someone, you know, living there playing in a Swedish heavy band, is there is there something in the water? Is there something about the the culture or the country that makes it yeah, such we a were successful lucky to grow up when we did during the 80s when we had a working proper socialist country you know mm. we had 
access to everything. We could get music lessons for free. It was paid by the state. You could, if you didn't afford, if you couldn't afford a guitar, they would lend you one without any cost. And you could rehearse, you got rehearsal spaces that you could lend for free. You only had to fill in a list saying that you were there a few times every month and you had a free rehearsal space. And uh, I think that has contributed to the wave of Swedish music that you've seen like the last 30 years. Mm. Because, yeah, we had a proper working socialist country back in the day. Now it's very different. Everything is cutting down. And culture is usually the first thing that goes. And, uh, yeah, it's a totally different climate. So I don't know how long this is going to last. <laughs> but, mm. but uh, yeah, we were very lucky to grow up when we did. Very good. And well, that's how how the whole thing happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, it looks like we're coming up on time, but uh, if we start going near politics, we might need a whole other uh, a whole other phone call booked in for that <laughs> one. So we can <laughs> we'll pencil that in for next time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'll let you go, Roger. But if you've got any further comments, any thoughts on the tour coming up, any last things you want to say to the people listening. Uh, feel free to now. Otherwise, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to seeing Catatonia touring Australia in February. Yeah, can't wait. Cool.